The church needs the fear of the Lord. And this is the message that he's put on my heart and that we're going to look at this morning. And I'm hearing quite a bit of feedback. He's preparing us. The Lord's preparing us for revival and great spiritual awakening. And I believe that the fear of the Lord and growing in the fear of the Lord is how he wants to help prepare his church. And so we're going to look at Psalm 111. And I'm going to focus on verses 9 to 10, but I'm going to read the whole psalm. And so Psalm 111, praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just, and all his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, enacted in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. I want to tell you about a recent um, prayer meeting. We have a noon prayer meeting on Wednesdays. And recently, as we were praying, the Lord led us into a time of confession. And one person confessed and repented, and another person confessed and repented. And we found ourselves confessing the fear of man. We were convicted about being afraid to open up our mouths and share about our faith feeling like we might be looked at as narrow-minded. Some of us have been uneasy about speaking about what Scripture says about marriage, about sexuality, about morality, about the sanctity of life, for fear of being labeled unloving, or for maybe the fear of being canceled. Some of us have grown in receiving spiritual gifts, and yet we've been reluctant to share or exercise those good gifts because of fear of what others might think or how they might respond, and so that was confessed. Some of us confessed that we had felt inhibited to worship God freely, to dance before him, to kneel, to maybe prostrate ourselves before him. Maybe it was the prompt to dance or to um, wave a banner in the presence of the Lord, and we confessed that we hadn't done that when we felt prompted in worship 
because we were concerned about maybe offending somebody or distracting someone. This fear of man isn't surprising, but it's problematic if we long to see the Lord honored and exalted in the way that he so um, rightly deserves to be. The fear of man is problematic if we're longing to see the church rise up in power and for the Lord to move in revival and to bring great spiritual awakening. And I believe the Lord wants us to grow in the fear of the Lord as a way that he in his perfect love would drive out all ungodly fear. And so we're going to look at fear of the Lord this morning. What is the fear of the Lord? Well, the fear of the Lord, depending on the context, can mean two things. It can, on one hand, it can mean to be in awe of God, to honor Him, to respect Him. That's fear of the Lord. Another fear of the Lord, depending on the context, can be terror, great alarm, fright, to be afraid, like shaking, afraid. Well, when we remember Pastor Dave's message from last Sunday about God's great act of love in the final judgment, where he purifies and cleanses and um, restores and recreates his creation, and he, as an act of love, purges everything that's evil, everything that is not of him, and all who do not follow him, That's an act of great love, but you're going to have two different reactions. The people who have a relationship with God are going to be in awe and just marvel at his goodness. He loves us so much that he's getting rid of everything that could ever bring another tear to our eyes. At the same time, those that do not have a relationship with God are going to be in absolute terror. Because they are going to the judgment and to the lake of fire to suffer eternal regret. Because they didn't have a relationship with this loving God that had offered such. And so we can see that the fear of the Lord can mean two things. But for those of us who have a relationship with him, it means that we're in awe of him. That we just magnify him, we exalt him. In the Old Testament, the term the fear of the Lord was used to mean genuine religion. It was true religion. And an early mention of the fear of the Lord was when Abraham and Sarah entered the land of Gerar. And the king Abimelech, he noticed how beautiful Sarah was. Maybe you remember this story. Sarah was beautiful, and he wanted to take her as his wife. And... um, Abraham at that time in Genesis 20:11 he said I said to myself there is surely no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife he could sense that there was no fear there was no genuine faith in God almighty that was giving them morals and so he um said there's no fear so his discernment was right they were in a difficult and a dangerous situation There was a clash of values. There was a clash of kingdoms. And um, Abraham and Sarah didn't handle that great um, because they didn't turn to God in that moment asking him for wisdom what to do. The fear of the Lord, Psalm 111 told us, is the beginning of all wisdom. And Abraham 
should have sought God for wisdom in that moment when the king wanted his wife. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, and he says that wisdom, he wants everybody to get wisdom. He says this in um, Proverbs 4-7, get wisdom, though it cost you all. Get understanding. He's saying, get it. Go for it. Pursue wisdom. Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, he describes two very different paths in life. One is foolishness, and one is the path of wisdom. And um, he says in Proverbs 1, this is just the very beginning of his book, and he says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what's right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Can you see? God's wisdom is available for all of us, all ages, every situation. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding Proverbs, parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge and wisdom. God himself is the source. He's, he is wisdom and he's all wise. He's always, and he knows everything. Think about this. He knows absolutely everything. He created it. He knows how it's designed to work. He knows everything. We go to him who's all wise. We recognize and honor his wisdom and he shares that wisdom with us. He's the source. He's the trailhead of wisdom. Now Solomon lays out these two paths in the book of Proverbs, and I cannot um, read it all to you, but I want to kind of summarize some of the themes that I see when he's really laying out between foolishness and wisdom. He's laying out these um, two paths. The foolish path are those that are following the desires of their flesh, the world, and the devil. And the path of wisdom is those that are following the desires of their sanctified will, God himself, and his kingdom. All right, so these are the two paths. And as I looked at it, I thought, okay, we've got fear of God, and then we've got those that have no fear of the Lord. We have those that are on the path of wisdom, and we have those that are on the path of fools. Those that are on the path of the Lord... They believe in Jesus. Those that don't have fear of the Lord, they don't believe in Jesus. If you're on the path of wisdom, you have gratitude and growing love for God. If you're on the path of the fools, you're apathetic and probably growing hatred towards God and his kingdom. If you're fearing the Lord, you're trusting. If you're not fearing the Lord, you're distrusting what he says. If you fear the Lord, you respect and revere him. If you don't fear the Lord, you don't respect him. You disrespect him. You dishonor him. If you fear the Lord, you worship him. And if you don't fear him, you mock him. If you fear the Lord, there's freedom and joy in the presence of the Lord. Remember when David danced. If there's no fear of the Lord, you're legalistic. 
and you're quick to judge. And we think about David's wife looking down her nose and saying, you're so undignified. All right. If we fear the Lord, we acknowledge the power of God. If we're on the path of fools that don't fear the Lord, what's happening? We're denying the power of God and we're looking for power in other sources. If we're on the path of wisdom, we're seeking God's wisdom and his instruction. If you're on the path of fools, you're despising wisdom and instruction. And isn't there just a plethora of information and ideas and opinions out there? And are, is, are the fools are just reading all the stuff and they're being swayed by this and that and the other versus seeking the Lord and finding the wisdom of God. If you're on the path of wisdom... You obey what he says because you know he's right. Even if you don't understand it, you obey. If we're on the path of fools, we're disobeying. If you're in the path of wisdom, you're living in light of eternity. And if you're on the path of fools, you're living for the moment. The path of wisdom is a narrow path. And the path of fools is a wide path and a broad path. These two paths are headed for collision. Those on the foolish path, they scoff, they scorn, they try to seduce, they try to silence those that are on the path of wisdom. If none of that works, they may try to overcome through violence. And we see this laid out very clearly in the life of Jesus. How do we resist when the enemy who's working through those that are on the path of fools, try to entice us onto their path and participate with their foolishness? And how do we live as witnesses to a better way? If we're trying to live on the path of wisdom, we're being tempted regularly to step over here and go on the path of fools, and it becomes the little foxes that would try to get us to compromise. So how do we overcome if we fear people? I want to speak of two current examples that I see in our culture to just lay out this path of wisdom, path of foolishness, and where I see a clash coming or where it already is. So the path of wisdom. God created sex and intended it only to be expressed within the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. For life until death do us part. The path of foolishness, our North American culture has idolized sex and sexuality and sexual expression and has increasingly strayed from God's wisdom in all manner of sexual perversion. All right, so where do I see these paths clashing and needing wisdom? How do Christians stay true? to their faith and the witness of God and what he tells us in Scripture when there's such peer pressure in our culture to compromise. It's difficult to raise children and youth and then send them to universities and in their humanities, their required humanities classes at some universities, they're being taught everything that goes against Scripture and God's wisdom. And it's a great challenge because how do we engage culture without completely isolating from it? We need the wisdom of God. Example number two, 
the path of wisdom, God is the one who gives life, and he instructs us not to kill. Do you agree? That's one of his instructions. The path of foolishness, some in our state want to change our state constitution to ensure the right to be able to take the lives of our most vulnerable people, our little unborn children. The clash that's needing wisdom is how do we represent the values of God and his kingdom as responsible citizens in this state? When and where do we speak up? How do we do so in a way that also shows compassion for those who have chosen to abort or have urged or paid for others to have an abortion? How do we look at the long-term needs for social transformation with the gospel? We need wisdom. What is my part? What is your part? What is our part? The fear of the Lord helps to overcome the fear of man. These two situations that I just brought up, and there's many others, but how many of you, and I'm not asking for you to raise your hand, but maybe you've held back. Maybe you've been in a conversation or you've been in a situation where something's being discussed and you've been silent or you've held back because you were afraid that people wouldn't agree with you. It would um, cause one of those like cancel situations or get into a volatile situation, a volatile conversation, an argument. And so perhaps the prompting of the Lord and you held back. That would be fear of man. Now, if God prompts you to be quiet at that time because he's saying don't cast the pearls before the swine, you know, we, there are times to be quiet too, but we need to know. And we do not want to be ruled by the fear of man, we want our actions to be ruled by the fear of the Lord, the honor of God, and what is he saying now. So I want to go back to the situation where Abraham and Sarah encounter this king. Um, they, Abraham and Sarah have a relationship with God. He's called them, um, and they have left their home country. They are in relationship with God. But when they meet this king who wants Sarah... They're afraid of being killed. And so they actually participate with the foolishness, a path of foolishness, because they decide, let's just not tell the whole truth. Just just say that um, you're my sister and I'm your brother. All right? What they did is they they didn't trust God enough to protect them if they told the truth. However... As that story unfolds in Genesis, it tells about how God actually really did protect Sarah. That the king did not touch her while she was in his custody. And that God reveals himself in a dream to this king and says, you have Abraham's wife, and this is why you've got infertility in your household, is because of this sin. And he said, well, I didn't even know and God says, you need to confess this. So he tells, his, he tells his advisors, and they're all afraid. They're in terror. They don't have a relationship with God, but they see the power of God. And they're saying, we didn't mean to do this. Well, God certainly was capable of protecting Sarah and protecting Abraham. 
When we face challenges, we're not to compromise or to be silent or to go from the path of wisdom and then get scared and like go over here and dip into whatever foolishness would have. We need to ask the Lord to help us to not be afraid of man, but to turn to him and to trust his love, his power, his promises, his faithfulness to us. We show our fear and honor of the Lord by going to him and asking for wisdom, which he promises to give generously. When we see in James 1, 5, that he gives generously to those that ask. But then we're not to doubt. Doubting goes over into that foolishness again, and then we'll get knocked around by all kinds of waves. We need to stay on the path of wisdom, ask the Lord, and trust that he'll give generously. We fear the Lord by honoring and esteeming him when we're strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And we take up the shield of faith, which extinguishes all the fiery darts of the enemy. So even so, what? If foolish humanity cooperating on a, on a path that they don't even realize is by the father of lies starts to throw darts and speak mean things or um, you know, post things on the Internet or whatever they want to do, those darts, we just hold up the shield of faith because Jesus is our defender. All right? That's how we fear God is we honor him and we trust him to protect us and we don't compromise. We fear the Lord when we resist letting the fear of man take our time, our attention, or sway our actions. The fear of the Lord helps us to walk in power, in love, and in a sound mind or self-discipline. This is from 2 Timothy 1.7. Think about Jesus. He walked in power, love, and a sound mind. There were people all the time that were watching everything he was doing. They were trying to set traps for him. They were wanting to kill him. They mocked him. And um, sometimes he spoke. When he saw the father and the father gave him words, he spoke. And other times he was silent and just went on about his business. He did not let man and humanity be bigger than his father. His father was everything to him. And he was there on mission. He was fearing the Lord. He was not fearing the humanity around him. All right. Here's an example that I found as I was reading the news yesterday of a Christian walking in the fear of the Lord. It was an article that I found from the Miami Herald on November 4. The headline, it said, Doctors are no longer will be um, allowed to provide treatments such as puberty-blocking medications, hormone therapy, and surgery to transgender people younger than 18 under rules approved Friday by the Florida Board of Medicine and the Florida Board of Osteopathic Medicine. And so these two boards met, and they made this decision for the youth that they will not participate in those kind of treatments and therapies for the young people. And this is a quote from um, Dr. Diane Gowski. She says, there are only two sexes, male and female. We can reason this through our reason, medical fact, common sense, and biblical truth. 
Diane Galski is Bay Pines doctor who is the president of the Florida Catholic Medical Association. And she said this, We are made by God. He is our only creator. Unfortunately, what, a, what transgender ideology, in my opinion, has created is a lie. Certainly, there's a need for great compassion and wise care. And we have compassion for those that have brokenness in the area of their gender and confusion about their identity. But rather than compromise, we hear a Christian physician seeking to fear the Lord and to walk the path of wisdom despite great pressure to conform to an agenda that is not from the Lord, she was not silent. She spoke the truth in love as she honored the Lord and his word. Consider what if she had been silent. The Lord had given her this platform. She leads. She's been appointed by her peers to lead the Catholic Medical Association, and she spoke up about something that she believed was very deceptive. How does that then open up others who maybe because of fear of man have been quiet but have the same convictions? Friends, when God and his word as big and prominent in our hearts and our minds, the fear of man is overcome. In addition to overcoming the fear of man, the fear of the Lord benefits believers in many other ways, things that we really need at this hour as we're praying for revival, as we're praying for great spiritual awakening. I want to tell you that the church has promised needed benefits as we fear the Lord, and these are just a few. Some um, list I saw where here's 20 benefits of the fear of the Lord. Um, in the prayer portions, I think it was 66 benefits. So I'm just telling you seven. This would be a wonderful study. All right. Benefit number one, um, as we fear the Lord, we receive divine instruction concerning the choices we should make. Psalm 25:12 says, Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. How many of you are facing decisions you need to make? Are you fearing the Lord? Are you lifting him up? Are you honoring him in your life and by your actions? He promises he'll instruct you in the way you should choose. We'll be Another benefit, we'll be prosperous in the most important ways. And going on from um, Psalm 25, now this is verse 13 in the ESV version. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. How many of you need your soul, your emotions, your mind, your will? How many of you need well-being there? God promises this as we honor him, as we've put our eyes on him. His word says that we'll experience his goodness and protection. Psalm 31, 19 and 20. How abundant are the good things that you've stored up for those who fear you that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from all human intrigues. 
you keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. Maybe you have concerns about physical safety. Maybe you have concerns about things that maybe are being said. The Lord promises to be a shield around you and to um, keep you safe and to keep you safe from accusing tongues. Another promise for those that fear him that will have descendants who are great on the earth in the most important ways. Psalm 112, 1 and 2. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Friends, if you are ever feeling concerned about the state of the church, about what it's going to be like if you have children or grandchildren, I just want to encourage you. God promises as we put our eyes on him, he is going to maintain the remnant. He is going to do what he wants to do until his glory covers the earth. This is an encouragement for us. We can look at this world and go, this is a crazy place we're living in right now. I'm concerned. I'm scared. Does the Lord want us to be scared? No. If we have a relationship with him, he wants us to be at peace. He wants us to be prayerful, but he wants us to have optimism. We'll have protection for our children. Proverbs 14:26. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. What you're building in the spiritual as a refuge, when you look to him, if you want something better for your children or your, those that you disciple, your spiritual children, what you're building is a safe place that those children will run into as well. If you want a different future for those that are around you, fear the Lord. Another benefit, we'll experience God's love and his righteousness with the next generation. Psalm 103 That's the one you started us with, right? Yeah, a little bit later, verses 17 and 18. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. How many of you have felt like you just needed a hug from the Lord this week? I need to experience the love of God. Fear the Lord. Honor him. Keep your eyes on him. His love will tend to you. And then last benefit that I'm going to mention from um, Psalm 145:19, He will fulfill our desires and answer our prayers. Psalm 145 says, He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. Who's... Um, Whose desires get fulfilled? Those who fear him. And he hears their cry and saves them. We are praying for revival. We are praying for great spiritual awakening. We're praying for those that we love, our neighbors, our friends, our extended family, who don't yet have a relationship with God What do we need to do if we want him to hear and respond to our desires and prayers? 
put our eyes on him. Friends, God's word is true. He promises all these benefits and more for those who fear the Lord, those who are in awe of him, those who revere him, who respect him, who tremble at his word and obey his commands. And I believe we're going to see revival. I believe we're going to see the vision of gospel transforming our hearts, our neighborhood, and the world as we turn our attention towards our Redeemer, the one who we are growing to fear. And fear meaning awe, respect, honor. We grow in the fear of the Lord as we think about who he is, as we ponder his great works, as we think about his glorious and majestic deeds, how many of you are just spending time like during your day, you're you're hit an obstacle and you go, Lord, you are so great. You parted the seas. This is nothing for you. Like, are you, are you training your mind to think about who he is, what he's done? Oh, this is, you know, you're the one who healed leprosy. My colitis is nothing for you. Lord, please help me with my colitis because you are God and you can do anything and you're compassionate. And Lord, please help me with the pain, relieve the pain. Whatever it is, you're meditating on his works, on his wonders. You're remembering his gracious, loving kindness. And I want to go back to this psalm that we started with. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. He's the one we were reminded from um, Isaiah 6, that when we see his holiness and we see our sinfulness, in that passage, the coal came and touched his lips. And then the call came, who, who will go for me? Who will I send? And he says, here am I, send me. Right? When we think about what he's done, Jesus on that cross, his love that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. All we can do, all we, the appropriate response is love him and praise him and thanks to him and want to share the good news with others because he is amazing. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your graciousness. I praise you for your holiness. Lord, I exalt you for your power, your strength. I I thank you that you watch over us day and night, that your presence, where could we go to flee from your presence? If we go to the depths, you're there. If we go to the heights, you're there. If we go to our houses, you're there. If we go to our workplaces, our classrooms, Lord, you are there. And thank you that you give wisdom when we ask. And Lord, we want to, we want wisdom because we want to see the Father glorified. And so glorify your name. Glorify your name because your name is awesome and worthy to be praised. And all God's people said, Amen.